This is I'm Really Rich Forbes on Trump on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Maggie McGrath. On this show, we're diving into the world of Trump through the eyes and ears of Forbes reporters. We'll focus on the 45th president's impact on the economy, business, and wealth here in America and around the world. We're going to start this week's show with some news. Breaking news, if you will. Forbes on Trump is ending. There's been a reshuffling of resources, and continuing the show, in this iteration at least, has become untenable. But just because this podcast is ending does not mean that Forbes will stop covering the president. On the contrary, for all the financial disclosures that are out there, and for all that we already know about his wealth and potential conflicts of interest, there is still so much more to uncover, and we at Forbes intend to do just that. To that end, we have decided to have one last conversation with our resident Trump reporter, Dan Alexander, about the most pressing questions that remain outstanding. Dan, thanks for starring in our series finale. All right. Thanks for having me back. So we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, but there seems to be, among some news consumers, a misconception, perhaps, that just because there are some financial disclosures about the White House, that we know everything that there is to know, every conflict of interest has been out there and settled and is period, end of sentence. Yeah, I, I do think that a lot of people have that conception. You know, that you go through the Senate hearings for all of the people who are going to be serving in various government roles, and I think that people get this sense that those are really, really brutal and they're sort of comprehensive, that you see everything that you need to see and, and that, you know, we now have a full understanding of all of the business interests, all of the potential conflicts, all of the, you know, places where people's official duties could be overlapping with their personal businesses. And that's just really not true. Hmm. Uh, there's so much more that we can learn. And for somebody, you know, in my position, that that's fun because it means that there's a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if you look, for instance, just at Donald Trump, whose finances have been analyzed probably more than anyone in human history <laughs> at this point, even with him, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. And I'm not just talking about the tax returns. You know, if you look at his assets, sure, we know which buildings he owns and that sort of thing. But he still has active foreign partnerships all over the world. And in his filings, he doesn't have to disclose who are the lenders to the builders for those partnerships. So we don't know, for instance, let's say, you know, he has a a major project that's about to open in the Philippines. We know who his partner is. His partner is a guy whose name is Jose Antonio, who also happens to be uh, the trade envoy from the Philippines to, to the United States. And so he's serving in an official role as well. So we, we know who his partner is, but we don't know where Antonio got his money. And we don't know if there are, you know, lenders there that, uh, you know, Trump may be, uh, you know, somehow interested in favoring if he's doing business in the Philippines. And that's with Trump, with the person who everyone's looked at his finances, everyone's poured over these reports, you know, for hours and hours and hours. And you look at the people surrounding him who've received a lot less attention so far. And there's so much to look through for that. I mean, Trump himself is worth three and a half billion dollars. The people around him, just in his cabinet, are worth four and a half billion. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. And I don't think that people have, you know, fully gone through all of that stuff yet. You know, just the other day you saw Jared Kushner, a big story in the Wall Street Journal about how how Kushner had ownership of a technology firm called Cadre, which was not disclosed on his financial disclosure report. The truth is it sort of was disclosed. It was disclosed that he had an ownership of a holding company, which in turn had the stake in Cadre. But there's a lot of things like that where you can disclose 
sort of the generalities but not the specifics and the specifics are what really matters uh so so there's there's a lot a lot of unpacking for us to continue doing uh over the coming months and and probably years i think the thing that we might forget about now and even i forget about this because it's the spring some of those confirmation hearings happened very very quickly and back to back and financial disclosures hadn't fully come out at that point so as you said you sit you, you see these cabinet members sitting for a 3 4 hour hearing and you think oh my god that's exhaustive when in fact it happened kind of quickly it happened a few months ago and it's out of sight out of mind but lingering questions remain that's right and and you know i think maybe the biggest thing here is that all that we see in the in the disclosure documents are potential conflicts of interest and that's just you don't actually get conflicts of interest until you start governing <laughs> and so, so we still don't know, you know, what people are buying and selling year to year. So, you know, Tom Price got himself in you know, a bunch of controversy for buying and selling healthcare securities at the same time that he was acting on healthcare legislation in Congress. And we haven't seen two years of forms from hardly anyone. So we don't know yet if anyone's buying and selling stocks or if they're increasing or decreasing interest in other business ventures. And that's a whole thing to pursue. We also don't yet know exactly what everyone's role is going to be, right? So a lot of these roles, particularly in this administration, are fairly vague and open, and they're giving people these sweeping ability to influence policy across government. So we don't know if, if there's a healthcare discussion, you know, is Jared Kushner, whose you know, brother is a founder of a major healthcare startup, is, is he going to be involved in you know, reshaping Obamacare in a way that could benefit, you know, his family. Or if you look at, uh, you know, people who aren't as famous as as Kushner, right? So you look at Reed Cordish, you know, whose family's built an incredible real estate business. You know, he has broad sweeping powers, actually serves underneath Kushner. And is what he is going to be doing, is that going to affect his family business or not? You know, these are all things that you don't get to see by looking at the disclosures on day one. You've got to look at the disclosures on day one and then monitor for four years. That's a really good point. And it also kind of brings to mind something that we've talked about before, which it doesn't matter that these guys are rich. You know, they have businesses, they have wealth. We're not vilifying them for that. What right. matters is who they are tied to and then in turn what they do in office if it then affects what they are tied to. You know, if you look at the Trump administration's approach overall, where most people would say, hey, you can't be acting in a government role that closely touches a business that your family's involved with or that you're involved with. They seem to be saying sort of the opposite. You know, hey, these are the experts. These are the people who know these areas the best, and we should be relying on them, uh, you know, to lend their expertise in, in whichever fields they're best at. And there's going to be a lot of argument on both sides uh, as we go forward. But if that's the, you know, the, the strategy that they want to pursue, and I'm not saying that that's a good strategy or a bad strategy, but it, there are going to be fireworks. And, and that's for somebody in our position, that's a, that's a great thing. It's a lot of stories to write. <laughs> it is a lot of stories to write. It will be fun to watch. The other thing we've mentioned internally is um, the Trump kids who are running the business and surely want to grow the business. And that, to me, seems like a big, unqu a big question mark. What, 
what are Eric and Donald Jr. going to be doing with the Trump Organization? And what business plans do they have now that they might not have had before their father won the presidency? I think that what Eric and Don Jr. are doing is is maybe the most underrated business story of everything swirling around with the Trump administration. I mean, you know, th- these guys, um, Eric told me that he thinks that eight years ago his father wouldn't have trusted uh, leaving the business with them in charge. And he said four years ago, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, he might have. Um, but the timing really was right where these guys were, you know, Eric's like 32 or 33, something like that. Don Jr. is a few years older. You know, they're just sort of in the age when in family businesses, they people that age generally start sort of stepping out on their own a little bit. And here they've got the most incredible opportunity to do that of, you know, forget forget the politics stuff for a second. Imagine that you're in a family business that has been dominated by one figure whose name is on every single product that you've ever come out with. And suddenly that figure says, you know what? I'm not going to be involved with the business for the next eight hours. Or excuse me, eight years. <laughs> next eight hours. I'm going to take a day off. No. <laughs> the next eight years. And suddenly you have these two guys who are in their 30s who have this opportunity to sort of define their own legacy. And I mean, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. You know, they've, they've already talked about um, the possibility of opening up, you know, maybe 150 licensed hotels across the United States over the next three years. That is an enormous amount of hotels. Uh, this would be under a different brand, under the Scion brand. Um, and so, you know, these guys could be expanding in, in ways that are uh, totally new for the Trump organization. And, you know, again, back to our earlier conversation, those are all going to be partnerships, and we don't know who those partners are, and we don't know where they're coming from. We don't know where their financing is. You know, so there, there's just a lot of stuff to continue paying attention to. And, I mean, f- f- if you have an interest in business and an interest in politics, I can't imagine a more fascinating sort of play to watch unfold as what we're about to see over the next few years. 150 hotels in three years. That's amazing. That's astonishing. And if you look at their portfolio right now internationally, I mean, it's it's a fraction of that. I mean, what these guys are talking about doing now, mind you, these are all licensed deals, just like the international ones. So, and I, I think that there's an important distinction to make here. This is not that they are going to be paying to build 150 hotels, but that people will want to license, you know, their brand, this Scion brand, this new brand, to create 150 hotels in the United States while their father is, is serving as the president. I mean, it's a fascinating business story. And, and you know, we don't yet know where the hotels are going to be, who's going to be doing it. I mean, it's just it's just going to be incredible to watch it all, it all come together. Sounds like there might be some opportunity along some of uh, the president's favorite campaign trail stops. Perhaps we'll go to Scion Hotel in Harrisburg. Well, that's right. In fact, so Don Jr. said that, you know, part of what uh, would encourage them to do this. You know, of course, their, their father said no new foreign deals. Well, you know, the Trump name is very big internationally, and, and so that was a real opportunity for them to expand internationally. And and when they decided that they weren't going to do any new foreign deals, um, that, that was a big deal for sort of the entrepreneurial side of the Trump organization. Um, and so they had to think about, all right, well, what else can we do? And Don Jr. says, you know, I just spent months traveling across the country, going to all these mid-sized cities, 
and I realized that there's a heck of a lot of opportunity out there that uh, that we hadn't been looking at and that, that we hadn't tapped into. And perhaps at some of these places that we've been stopping, you know, on the campaign, uh, maybe they might like a like a hotel that would be licensed by the Trump organization. It'll be interesting to see. Now, earlier you mentioned the tax returns. That seems to be the thing that has dominated a lot of headlines, a lot of attention. In your view, how important are they? How, <laughs> how much should we be wanting these tax returns? Man, I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> you know, I think that the tax returns uh, would be fascinating to look at. But I think that anyone who says, if we only saw the tax returns, we would have a full understanding of everything, uh, hasn't looked at enough tax returns. Um, you know, the tax returns would tell us a lot of interesting stuff. And, and if they truly are, you know, whatever Donald Trump says, they're four feet tall or five feet <laughs> tall, um, then there would be a ton of stuff to unpack there. And, of course, somebody in my position hope, hopes that eventually we'll get to look at them. Um, but but I don't think that they would answer everything. Uh, you know, th- they're not going to say, you know, who Donald Trump has struck business deals with um, that, you know, are investors in a property that he, uh, but but that person's not directly paying him. You know, perhaps they're investors in a partnership, and um, so it, it'll it would be very fascinating. Uh, I don't think it would solve you know all of the everyone's questions, um, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to continue hunting for them. But uh, again, even if we don't see them, there's there's a lot of stuff to dig around. It's not the end all be all. That's right. So you mentioned before, if you are a fan of business news and a fan of politics, this is going to be a fascinating time. The fireworks will surely happen at some <laughs> point. I, they already have, frankly. It's been a <laughs> hell of a 103 days. Right. Um, but for news consumers out there, as a journalist, any tips for wading through the sheer amount of content, ours included? I, I think that you've got to be um, very methodical about how you do it. There's so much stuff going on, and you know the way that a lot of politics uh, coverage happens is that people are just, you know, following the press conferences, following what the president's talking about that day, um, following who he's talked with on the phone. All of that stuff's really important, um, but I think that particularly with the business stuff, it's got to sort of be a, uh, you know, the, they zig, you zag sort of thing. You know, I mean, you've got to figure out how's a way that you can approach this that's different from just following the momentum of the news cycle. And, uh, you know, in in a previous episode, I talked about how I think that a lot of news is going to come from people talking with Trump's foreign partners. Um, I think that that's going to continue to be true as soon as their domestic partners begin to come to light, you know, and we see who more of these folks are. Um, You know, I think with the all of the new disclosure forms that are coming out, these are incredibly boring forms to look (laughs) at. And the best stories are, you know, hidden in the most boring forms. Um, And so I think a lot of this stuff, and, you know, partially I'm like giving myself a a pep talk right now. (laughs) (laughs) You can do it. (laughs) I mean, I think part of this stuff is just like having the grit to sit through looking at hundreds and hundreds of pages of boring forms hoping that, you know, you'll find something interesting. And uh, and on the days when you inevitably don't, uh, you know, to <laughs> to get back up and do it again the next day. 
well, I have faith that you and our fellow staffers at Forbes will be able to go through everything and continue to pull out great nuggets. I know you don't want to give away all your upcoming plans, but (laughs) are there any stories in the near term that you are especially excited to release or to work on? I I think that... um that one thing that's going to be really interesting is looking at some of the people who perhaps aren't household names, but have massive assets. Um, you know, Trump has filled up the government with a lot of people with huge business experience, and many of those people aren't famous yet. Uh, but the ways that they, you know, have have made fortunes already and the experiences that have shaped them and that will in turn shape our government and our policies. Uh, I think are are going to be fascinating. So, you know, f- for instance, um, if you look at, you know, a family like Sir Reed Cordish, who, you know, I mentioned earlier, serves underneath underneath Jared Kushner. You know, Reed Cordish's family business is in its own right a fascinating story. I mean, this is a, a real estate business, but not a typical real estate business. These guys have, you know, built uh, these, you know, big sort of entertainment complexes around uh, stadiums all across the country. They've got casino assets. Uh, they've, you know, leveraged massive infrastructure projects um, in, you know, in in really uh, uh, novel ways to, you know, try to, to build out their real estate portfolio. And, and, you know, when you have somebody who has that sort of experience and you start to unpack what that business is, you know, and where... Uh, you know where its expertise are, then I think that you'll start to uncover um, more nuggets about about how the people who are shaping our government uh, might be thinking. These aren't normal politicians. <laughs> We're not going to see uh, you know business as usual from not just from Trump, but from a lot of the folks that he appointed. And uh, you know that that might be reason for hope, or it might be reason for concern. It just sort of depends on on how you look at things. Well, good luck. And for everyone who wants to continue reading you, where can they find you? Well, you can you can go to our website at Forbes.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is DanAlexander21. We certainly hope that you're following along. I hope so, too. Dan, thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you. And that's it for Forbes on Trump, the podcast. But as you just heard, that's not it for Forbes, the media organization, on Trump or his business ties. I hope you continue to follow our reporting on Forbes.com and, of course, on newsstands around the country. And if you think you have a news tip that would bolster said reporting or even the president's tax returns, head to Forbes.com tips for our PGP key, a link to our secure drop, and our mailing addresses. I want to thank my colleagues at Forbes for participating in this podcast experiment, producer Laurel Moglin for her steady direction, and our audio engineer Kieran Meadows for making everything sound smooth. And above all, thanks to everyone who's listened, shared, subscribed, or commented. Thank you. It's been a blast. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. One million. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. So figure out what your next read is going to be. Download Fully Booked right now on the Podcast One app at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like hitting all green lights good. 
finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a Trunk Club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.